Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would teach us your word, that you would awaken our spirits, awaken us from slumber, awaken us from ignorance, and awaken us to a reality, my Father, that is beyond our control. My Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I ask that your word would be of benefit to us today, and that your Holy Spirit will help me as I speak your word. Teach me and teach us all through your Holy Spirit. We adore you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. If I may ask you, please, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Beginning with verse 49. Last week, we dealt with the earlier version in, in this same chapter. And I, I think uh, if there's one thing I want to mention about last week's sermon that I want you to keep in mind uh, is the words of Jesus when he says, uh, fear not, little flock. And um, uh, one of the things I said to you last week, and I think it's worth repeating, is that uh, the church has always been a little flock. The church has not yet. Maybe one day it will. I'm sure it will when Jesus comes. Will uh, occupy all of earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But in the meantime, uh, the church has always been a little flock. The church has always uh, struggled to survive through history. In fact, uh, the times when the church has done its best or has experienced the best times, what happens at times when we experience, experience the best is that the church and the members of the church began to take the gospel easy. And so the church, um, I, I think the church was in, in some way I think he went to sleep in, in, in some times in history. And in fact, becoming a Christian was so easy that everybody became a, a Christian. I'm thinking primarily of the empire of Constantine, when the church being a Christian was lawful, and it was good, and it was easy, and everybody became a Christian. But then but then the gospel was watered down. It wasn't a strong Christianity. The, the strong Christianity in the history of the church has always been when the church is persecuted. When the church is persecuted uh, is, uh, are the days when true Christians stay in the gospel no matter what happens to them. Where there is a challenge to the faith, when there is a challenge to the church, um, I, I think the Christians who are not really too strong in the Lord, they go, um, they go for easy stuff. 
They, they look after the easy word, the easy thing. But uh, when, when the church is challenged, is sometimes when, when the true Christians rise. They rise and they sometimes become martyred. And sometimes they sacrifice and sometimes they go to prison and sometimes uh, they become stronger. In fact, somebody has said that, if I quote it right, that uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed that grows the church. The blood of the martyrs is, is what grows or what waters the seed of the church. And so when I see Jesus speaking about uh, be not afraid, uh, little flock, I am reminded that sometimes the church's life is always uphill. It's always uphill. And, and I would even say to you that the church that wants to walk the closest to the Lord, the hill becomes higher. And, and the grade, the grade of the ascension becomes harder. The, the more that a believer wants to walk with the Lord, the more that the challenges of life will come and try to take you away from that walk. And so I am reminded when Jesus says, fear not, little flock, uh, that the church in the world is always going to be a little flock. It's always going to be a little flock. And so I say that as, as teaching, but I say that also as, as warning uh, of our walk. When I was preparing, and by the way, this is a tough passage, isn't it? This is a tough passage. It's, it's a tough passage. And when I was thinking about this passage, uh, what, I, what I thought most was uh, who Jesus Christ is. I, I just asked myself, uh, who is Jesus and, and what is it that he came to do and what is it that he does in the life of those uh, who receive him? And um, I want to say to you, and, and maybe some of these things are clear to some of you, but maybe uh, I need to say them anyway, but Jesus Christ is the only the only Son of God. There's not another. Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, begotten from eternity. And we say that in the creed all the time, but I'm not sure we fully understand it. But Jesus was not created. There was not a time that Jesus was not. Jesus was begotten, mean that he proceeded from the Father. He was always from eternity with the Father, and he proceeded from the Father. But Jesus always existed. And so we say in the creed, begotten, not created. And you will say it in a little bit when we say the creed again. But Jesus was the one and only that came from the Father, not created, but begotten from Him. He came from Him. And uh, He came and was begotten from eternity and into eternity. He'll always be the begotten Son of God. Jesus is the perfect image, 
the perfect image and representation of his father. The perfect image and representation of his father in all of his qualities and being. As the father is God, Jesus is God. Any and all qualities of the father are represented in Jesus. He is the perfect representation, the perfect image of our father in heaven. And all of his attributes of being are shared between the Father and the Son. And all of the divine actions of Jesus are the divine wills of the Father. That's how close they are. For the purpose of the will of God, Jesus Christ left and abandoned all of the glories of heaven. All of the glories of heaven. And when I think of that, and I kind of picture in my mind in heaven, because of some passages of Scripture, like a majestic throne room of God with the altar of God and and the, the big throne of God, and right next to Him on His right side was always from the beginning His Son. And He was adored and worshipped by angels and archangels and by every host in heaven. Every knee bowed down to him. Everyone worshipped Jesus. Everyone existed to do his bidding. And he, at the will of his Father, he abandoned all of that glory. And he became a human being. He became a man, and he was born of a woman. And as a man, Jesus took all that he meant to be human upon himself. Every single thing that he means to be human, Jesus took it upon himself, except sinfulness. Because Jesus never, ever sinned. And though he was tempted... And probably not just at the beginning of his calling. Jesus was probably tempted repeatedly through the ministry. He never once sinned and betrayed the will of his Father. Except, and I I love this that St. Paul says. He says, Jesus who was sinless, that Son of God became sin. Imagine that. The sinless Son of God, who had the will not to sin or betray His Father in any way, when He climbed on the cross, He became and embodied all of the sins of the world. All of your sins were placed upon him. And it doesn't say that he became sinful. It says that he became sin. Sin was embodied in who Jesus was when he was at the cross. And that he became in front of his father. He became sin in front of his father's gaze. No wonder from the cross he cried out, repeating Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For our salvation, 
For our salvation, Jesus became the horrendous meaning of all sinfulness was placed upon him. And because of that, he experienced the greatest abandonment he had ever felt ever in his life. The greatest sense of separation between him and his Father in heaven. The greatest sense of loneliness and despair and pain and sadness when at that very moment and for a little while he became the very thing God rejects. Sin. And he did that for us. He did that so that in taking it upon himself, he was taking him, taking sin off of us. Off of us and unto himself. He came to bring peace to us. A peace we had never known. A peace that we all always have wanted, because we all want peace. We want peace. Not only peace among nations, not only peace among family members. We all know that we hunger for an inner peace, because we have been trying real hard to reach that place of peace within ourselves. And all we do at times is band-aid, put band-aids on our peace. We keep looking for things that will give us peace. We keep looking for people that will give us peace. We keep looking for situations that will give us peace. We keep searching, and the, the thing I tell you is when you band-aid it, you never really have it. You never really have it. The kind of peace that Jesus wants to bring into our souls, the kind of peace Jesus wants to bring into the world, is God's peace. It's a peace that fills you and completes you. It's a peace that builds you. doesn't take from you, it gives to you. It makes you get up in the morning and say, I am blessed. Doesn't matter what you're going to face that day. There's this sense that a peace surrounds you, that, that you're not alone ever, no matter what you face. No matter if you're going to a doctor appointment, no matter if you have a terrible time at work, no matter if you're facing a difficulty at home with a family member, you still feel that God's peace is supernatural over you. And Jesus came into the world to give you that peace. To give us all that peace. Jesus is in Scripture. We are told that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And in a passage which I'm sure is up here now on the screen. In a passage from Isaiah chapter 9. A passage from Isaiah chapter 9. It couldn't be said better than this. Uh, he's called the Prince of Peace. He says, you, you will remember this passage, but it says, For unto us a child is born, 
unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Prince of Peace. And then in Luke, after the birth of Jesus, we have what the angels said. And, and the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, it says, suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The coming of Jesus was about bringing peace. Was about bringing peace. And yet, from the reading of today's passage, Jesus actually says, do not suppose that I came to give peace on earth. I came uh, to bring division. I came to bring fire. What's going on? Is he the prince of peace or is he not the prince of peace? There's two ways of understanding this passage, and I think it's extremely important that we grasp it. One is that the coming of Jesus, and they're both related... But one is that the coming of Jesus, definitely, whether we like it or not, some will receive him and some will not receive him. Some will receive the peace he has to offer, and some will reject the peace that he has to offer. Some will accept that he is indeed the Son of God, the begotten from eternity to eternity, and some will reject that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And in that sense, Jesus is going to bring division between the saved and the unsaved. He's going to bring division, and in a home there may be different family members, and some are saved and some are not saved. And Jesus is bringing a sword that is going to cut right through because he offers salvation to all, but not all will receive his salvation. And yes, at the end, everybody is going to say, Oh Lord, but I went to church. Oh Lord, but my family was a Christian. Oh Lord, but I gave this much. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Because I know your heart, and I know where your heart is, and your heart does not have allegiance to me. You have been sharing allegiance with someone else. And so Jesus does indeed bring a sword into the world. His gospel is definitely a gospel of division. Because he will divide. In fact, I love the way he says it in Hebrews when he says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, able to cut and separate the marrow from the bones. It's a two-edged sword that will cut our sins from our righteousness and will cut believers from unbelievers. 
And the word of God will definitely set some on one side and others on another. And Jesus came to bring forward those that are saved versus those that are not saved. It's unquestionable that that is part of the division that is going to occur. But the other side of this division, which is related to it, is that Jesus knew that when he comes into the world with the message of peace and with the message of salvation, he knows, he knows that he's coming into a situation where the world is not going to receive him. The cross does not surprise Jesus. The rejection that he receives does not surprise Jesus. He knows that he's coming into a world that is not ready or willing to change allegiance to the one only God. You have to, you have to put it in context. It speaks about a family. It speaks about a family where two are divided against three, and three are divided against two. And a father is against the son, and the son against the father. And the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. And the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And he says, look, I'm coming, and this is going to be a result of my coming. And it's going to be so, because I come to bring division... In the sense that this family used to all worship the emperor. This family all used to gather to worship Zeus. And when Neptune's feast came, all this family would come together and they will worship these gods. And now somebody in that family is saying, I can no longer worship Zeus. I can no longer bow down to Caesar. I have belonged now to Jesus Christ. And that's going to bring division to a family. That's going to bring division. And Jesus knows that he's not just bringing peace, he's bringing peace upon those who receive him, but he's bringing a sort of division because God will not accept double loyalty or double-tongued individuals. You can't worship the emperor one day and God another. Your loyalty has to be one, has to be one to Almighty God. When God said, you shall have no other God but me, he meant it. He's a jealous God who does not want to share us with anything else that has priority over, over him in our lives. He does not want to share us. And it may be that the father frequented the temple prostitutes in the temple as Romans and Greeks practiced. And the son now says, Dad, I can't go there with you no more. Why not? You're supposed to keep the family together and this and that. And the son says, I can't. I can't. Well, what about worshiping on the day of Neptune? I can't do that either, Father. 
And the daughter says, I can't do that. Or the mother becomes a Christian and there's marital trouble between a father who wants to keep the old religion and the mother who now wants to keep faith in one Lord Jesus Christ. And now you have two kingdoms fighting each other. Jesus is aware that his intent is to unify and bring peace. But he also knows he's coming into the world where the darkness is so, so hard to overcome. And yet he comes to be the light of the world and to come in opposition to that darkness. And to come in opposition to the power pursuits of man. And to come in opposition to the gods of man. And to come in opposition to the strong man, Satan. And he knows that the moment he lights the light in the darkness of the world, a division is going to happen. It has to. Because light and darkness cannot coexist. The moment you have a darkened room and you turn on the light, the light will always overpower the darkness. Always. Always. And righteousness will always be in opposition to sinfulness. And goodness will always be in opposition to evil. And when you introduce goodness and righteousness and light into a person's life, there will be a battle within you. And when you introduce it into a family, there will be a battle within the family. And we all know members of our families who do not believe in Jesus. And you know what happens in the world? The world is saying to you and to me, shut up. You're not allowed to speak about Jesus at work. You're not allowed to speak about Jesus here in this medium. You're not allowed to speak Jesus here or there. And sometimes for political correctness, and I'm not against political correctness, there's no reason to hurt anybody or to offend anybody. But are we not offended when we are told we can't pray in the name of Jesus? Not too long ago, Wednesday mornings, I have breakfast with clergy from Burbank and a rabbi that serves in, in uh, North Hollywood, and we've become really very good friends. And one time, one of the pastors from Burbank, he asked me, uh, Father Jose, um, some of the pastors in, in Burbank, they take turns praying at the city council. Every time the city council opens up the meetings, we do the invocation. Would you be willing to sign up? And, and I, I sure, I mean, part of what I want to do is make sure that St. Davis is uh, represented well in the city. So I said, sure, I would love to do that. And I said, can I pray in the name of Jesus? He said, oh no, that's the one rule. You cannot mention the name of Jesus. And, and I, I got to tell you, it hurt. And my answer was, I, I can't do it either. If Jesus is not welcome, I'm not welcome either. 
and, and I said, I can't. Well, um, one of the other friends got offended. They got offended because I felt that any time they asked me to pray at breakfast and I mentioned the name of Jesus, I was being offensive to him because he was not a Christian. And I said, I apologize. You know, I apologize that you feel hurt. It's not my intent. You know that every time I've spent time with you here, um, I, I'm part of you and, and, and I love you. You know that I do. I care for you. I hear your stories, your struggles. I give you my counsel. I don't mean to offend you, but I think I would be offended if you don't let me be a Christian. Why is it offensive only when I, um, uh, when I pray to my Lord, but it's not offensive to me when you tell me, shut the hell up, you're not allowed to mention Jesus in this venue. Amen. But see, that's what the world does when you want to introduce Jesus into this world. They don't want to hear it. They want to be offended because it is politically correct to allow everybody else except Christians to practice. And I said to him, look, it's not that I put on Christ. I am a Christian. I've become a Christian. Everything in me is a Christian. So how can I not mention my Lord Jesus Christ? We had this... I mean, I'm not sure he agreed with me. But it's okay. It's okay. He has his right. I honor that, but I have my right, and I will honor that. I will not allow the world to tell me that I have to shut down my light. On the contrary, I think the light needs to shine so that the darkness disappears. Jesus is very aware that when he comes into the world with the message of the gospel, with the message of God, with the message of of repentance, he knows there is an enemy and a devil in a world system that is going to oppose him. He knows he's going to bring division. He's going to bring division in a home. He's going to bring division in, a, in every direction of our lives. He's going to bring division. And so the Prince of Peace knows very well that peace comes at the cost of defeating the darkness, but the darkness does not, does not want to be defeated any more than Herod wanted to have another king be born. The moment Herod find out that the king of the Jews was going to be born, he killed every child under the age of two. Any more than Pilate wanted to deal with somebody who claimed to be the king of the Jews. It would have been a problem for him with the emperor. So he gives Jesus to be crucified. It is the intent of the devil and the demons in all of the world. It is the intent of the devil to kill, shut up, and destroy not just Jesus, but the message of the gospel. And I think we're fighting today the same thing. We live in a world that doesn't want to hear we live in a world where we want things a particular way and we want to lock it in some way and we don't want to let Jesus completely out of the bag. We live in a world that does not want to hear or listen. And so Jesus is very much aware that in a family, 
in a family, when some people in the family honestly, sincerely turn their loyalty to God and God alone, that there will be some that will not. And you may even be asked at times in your family, maybe a family gathering, maybe Thanksgiving, don't pray. Don't mention Jesus. Because somebody in the family is going to be offended. And so you want to be politically correct, and you don't. You hide your Christianity. It happens. And it will happen. As it happened with Jesus, it will happen with us. It will happen with us everywhere we go. We are going to have to ask ourselves, I know that I'm bringing a differentiation between believing and unbelieving, between righteousness and sin. Whenever I mention Jesus or the Word of God, I know somebody is going to really get, their face will change into grumpy. The moment you bring Jesus into a conversation, you're going to see some grumpy faces like they don't want to hear. Okay, they don't want to hear. And they may even tell you, hey, keep your Christianity to yourself. You know, Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. He didn't say, stay, and the disciples will come to you. He said, go and make disciples. We were reminded of that in the conference we were in this week, Alex and I. We are told to go out with the light of the gospel. To not let it be shut down or something placed over it. But to let it shine. Let it shine not just in our actions, in our voice, in our message. In our message of love for everyone. But love that is in the name of Jesus Christ. And that every knee will bow down. And that the will of God will be done. Jesus is so clear. Do you suppose that I come to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. It's unavoidable. Peace and war don't mix. And God is at war with the devil. And the world is at war with God. And the flesh is at war with the spirit. And the spirit is at war with the flesh. And that's the way it is. And the closest you walk with the Lord. And when your loyalty is to him and him alone, you will be placing situations where you will be challenged for your faith. In fact, if you are not being challenged for your faith, you've accommodated your faith. Hear me. If you are not already being challenged to be a real, true, God-honoring Christian, you have accommodated your faith to how others feel about it. You have accommodated your faith, and that's not what God has sent us out for. Not to accommodate, but to proclaim. Jesus is aware he's bringing, he's bringing struggle. And he's also very aware that that struggle led him to the cross. 
and he may lead some of us to hurt, to the loss of friends, to the loss of certain things. He may bring us to, to a challenge whether we truly are loyal to the Lord in every respect. Are we loyal? Are we submitted? Are we surrendered to the one God alone? Or are we compromising our faith? We are in that same boat that we will bring at times division and at times a sword and, and we can say, you know, I don't mean to hurt you. I really don't mean, this is not my intent. I'm just speaking the truth that is in my heart. I have as much right to my truth as you have to yours. And we speak the word of God and we counsel in the name of Jesus and we love in the name of Jesus and, and we help in the name of Jesus and, and we pray in the name of Jesus and, and we do all in the name of Jesus. And, and Jesus concludes the passage by saying, when you see the clouds coming from the west, that's where the Mediterranean Sea was, when the cloud is coming from the west, it's picking a lot of moisture from the Mediterranean Sea, you know it's going to rain. But when you see the, um, uh, the air come from the south, or the wind come from the south, you know it's coming from the desert. From the Arabian desert and the Egyptian desert. And so you know it's going to be a very hot summer. He says, hypocrites, if you can tell the weather, why don't you tell the world in which you're living right now? And what you're being asked to do both by God and by the world. When will you wake up? The church is always going to be a small flock. And it's going to be a, an uphill battle. But we know who wins. We know Jesus Christ will come. And there will be a final division between the sheep and the goats. Between believers and unbelievers. Between the loyal to God and those who are.